Hi, welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea. I'm a certified retirement coach, and it is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. And I am really excited to talk to my guest today. His name is Andy Robin. He's the author of The Tapas Life. How cool sounding is that? If you don't know what tapas are, they're wonderful snacks and food that you get in restaurants. And um, Andy's going to tell us all about it, I'm sure. And I'm just really excited to have you on here. His goal is to show you options on how to build a great life after your long career, including using your well-developed business brain. So I would like to ask for more on that. But first, tell us about yourself, Andy. How did you come to be doing what you're doing? Well, thank you, Kim, for including me. Uh, Let's see. My, My wife and I, before we got married, did something unusual. We decided that we both wanted our careers, which were both going well at that point. And we also decided we both wanted to be at-home caregivers to children. We thought it important that kids have an at-home caregiver during their upbringing. And uh, so my wife quit her big job because I was going to have a hard time nursing babies. And... uh she took them when they were small, which was great. And then we were supposed to switch when they were around 8 and 10, but she discovered a whole new life and went back and got a master's and Ph.D. in a new field. And uh, we finally swapped when the kids were 13 and 15. Oh boy. And uh, I left my job as a VP of a large semiconductor company one Friday afternoon to to be told that my cooking was terrible on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Insulting. (laughs) So my my work was cut out for me. And uh, so I had five wonderful years as an at-home dad with our teenagers. People uh, sometimes say, well, you got the short end of that stick. And but not really. They always got lots of love from both of us. And so it was more like having quirky teenage friends at home. Okay. Did they do crazy teenager stuff? Of course they did. Nothing nearly as bad as what I ever did. (laughs) That's Uh, good. And so we all had a good time together, and then they went to college. And then I was kind of like, well, what in the hell do I do now? And I really did not have much of a clue. Uh, The only thing I had discovered after a few years as at-home parent I was like, okay, well, the kids are late in high school. One's already gone to college. I've always wanted to take piano lessons. So that's my chapter doing, my chapter called Do Something You Love. Mm, So I love love piano music. So I figured, well, maybe I'll learn to play piano. So in, in 04, I started taking piano lessons. I was at my piano lesson earlier today, once a week. Uh, and it's wonderful. Now I can play stuff I never dreamed I could play and uh, love doing that. And I started accreting other things to my life. And I said, I guess I better do some exercise, and I guess I better do some volunteerism, because my wife did when she was staying at home, and I guess, you know, this and that and the other thing. And So I did those things. And then one day I ran into a friend on the street who said, hey, Andy, you look great. What are you up to? 
and and I said, well, I'm I'm living my tapas life. It just mm-hmm. uh, popped out of my mouth fully for really? And, you know, tapas are the dishes, the small dishes that they serve in Spain or like mezes in the Mediterranean. Uh, and so instead of having the typical American meal that has a monster porterhouse with some potatoes, instead of that, it's lots of little dishes. And you mix and match them and have what suits you. And I realized that I had assembled a life of multiple activities and that it was really quite interesting. Uh, and at the, at the end of the assembly, I noticed something was still missing. And I realized that I needed a meaningful activity. And I looked for a while and one day uh, discovered coaching and uh, went to coaching school for about 300 hours. And now I've been doing mostly life coaching, a little bit of executive coaching for the last 10 years. And it's a tapa. I limit my practice to five clients. Oh, wow. Nice. But so I had this really interesting and fulfilling, rich and rewarding life. And I was like, but it took me four and a half years to get this done. And after a while, I had the energy to say, I think I'll write a book about it as part of my meaningful tapa to see if I can't do something helpful for somebody else, which is what most meaningful things are about. That's how I got here. Okay, I like that. So when you talk about something being meaningful, um, you know, sometimes people will say, I just want to do, I just want to golf. I'm just going to fish. I'm just going to play tennis. That's what they think their retirement is going to be. And then you talk about something being meaningful. So how would you say that to somebody who says, no, I just want to fish. I want to sit out on the bay and I want to fish and come home and take it easy. How is that not meaningful? How would you answer that for somebody? Well, that may be very meaningful for a person. Uh, they may enjoy the beauty of that. They may enjoy the activity that that may give them some juice and they may like that a lot. And, you know, after they leave their long career, they may be able to do that for six months or a year or a year and a half or two years while they decompress. And then after that, they may still want to do that as a bit of a hobby. But if that's going to be their whole life, most people will go right out of their mind things will get pretty boring and you need more stuff to, to fill your life. And the, and the point of something meaningful is to avoid becoming just a useless skin who's consuming resources on the planet. I mean, it, that may feel nice a little bit, but it's kind of selfish. And you may want to do a certain amount of that. But after a while, you'll come to miss some purpose. You know, maybe during your long career, it was uh, supporting your family or proving that you were capable or saving for a comfortable retirement or saving for kids' education. And now what? Your purpose is to go sit on the dock and fish? 
No, that's that's an enjoyable hobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not really a purpose. Usually a purpose is is something meaningful. It's it's where you do something selfless for somebody else. And that that's what'll be needed by and by. So yeah, decompress, keep all those things as hobbies and activities. But find something of substance. Yeah, it's nice to have a break when you come off of your, as you put your long career. And I think it's well deserved, don't you, to just take that time. Totally. For for eighteen months after I left my long career, other than being stay at home dad and you know doing what I had to do, I had no energy for anything. Mm. Yeah. But uh, I always think of it as if you're going to a party and people ask you what you've been up to. And you, like, had the answer right away. I'm living my tapas life, which is pretty awesome. But I think if you just did the one thing, I play tennis every day. I play tennis. <laughs> I play tennis. I mean, it's, that's kind of the end of the conversation at that point. But but you, the first thing someone's going to ask you, I'm sure, is, so what does that mean? What are you doing? You know, there's, and you have a lot to share. That's it's a pretty awesome definition that you just came up with on the fly. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. So can you describe the business brain? You're talking about that people can use their business brain to, uh, to help with their retirement. So how does that come into play when you're retired? You don't want a business brain anymore. Well, you know, as I noted, take your time to decompress after your long career. And then the most important thing after that really is putting in a little structure. If you've got nothing on your calendar, what I call having your calendar look like a white rabbit in a snowstorm, there's (laughs) there's nothing there. It's just blank. Put in some structure. You know, it may be simple. Do email at a certain time of day or a few times a day. Catch up on the news sometimes. Take the garbage out on Thursday nights. Maybe eventually put in exercise twice a week or go play your golf with your buddies once a week or go meet a person for lunch twice a week. Put in some structure because the empty calendar is a recipe for depression. It's really bad news. And once you have that out of the way, you've still got everything you learned in your long career your business brain, and, and, you know, maybe you can put that to work. And when I say business, it doesn't have to be business. I mean, maybe you were a teacher. Maybe you were a physician or a nurse. You might have been many things. But you have something from your vocation that you're still very knowledgeable and experienced with. <clears throat> and you can still use it. So if you need some income... You can try to find projects doing consulting with your business brain, or you can try to find a part-time job. Oftentimes, startups or nonprofits are looking for somebody with some skills who will come in for half a day a week or a day a week to help out with one thing or another. Yeah. Or if you're near a community college, uh, volunteer to teach a course or volunteer to teach an evening course in adult school. 
uh, maybe about job hunting or who knows what about, but stuff that you know that others can benefit from. And if you're, if you're not in it for the money, you know, if you know a lot, you may be able to mentor younger people. It's mm. it, at least during my long career, one of the things I loved most was bringing along younger people. Yeah. And helping them understand how the world and the industry worked so that they could develop, you know, in army terms to be all that they could be, right? Mm, yeah. And uh, that's super rewarding work, really meaningful. And yeah, there was the BS of the daily activities and pressure from above and so on. But but that was a great piece of work. Yeah. And so after your long career, you probably still know some of those people. Or you may have grown kids and you may know some of their friends. And you can volunteer to be a mentor to some of those people. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing. I've been happy to occasionally serve in that role with some of our kids' grown friends. Mm. Uh, not like on a regular basis, but every now and then they'll, you know, drop me a note and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can we get together? That's great. It's wonderful stuff. So, yeah, those are some nice ways. Or write about it, blog about it, do podcasts about it. There's uh, many ways. Yeah, there are many ways. It's just, I think that's part of the fun is exploring what the many ways are and finding what works best for you. But I think that's great that your friends' kids reach out to you. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's really quite a compliment. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what do you recommend when somebody um, first starts to retire and, and they're, they, you know, they're, going to clean out the junk door in the kitchen and get the garage cleaned out and all that stuff. And then what, what do you recommend people do? How do they move forward? So that really is the next step after putting some structure in place. Okay. Is when you have some energy getting caught up, right? The disaster of a garage or, you know, the house that's a shambles and needs some work or, uh, or very importantly, if you don't have a will writing one up, even more importantly, if you don't have a durable power of attorney for health care, mm. writing one of those up because there's nothing worse than you're deep in the tank with health problems and your spouse or kids are sitting there, you know, the doctor's saying, well, what shall we do? And you're sitting there going, uh, uh, this is horrible. Yeah, And so having those instructions uh, written out as clearly and fully as possible, if you're a person of means, having some kind of trust document. Uh, so that's, that's really a, an important next step. It may be that in your personal finances, you've got multiple accounts, multiple insurance policies it, that have just sort of grown up like bushes over the years, and now there's an opportunity to pare that all back like you do in a garden and just have a few healthy plants. So that kind of catching up is really great, and it just takes a load of weight off you. And so between 
your long career is over and you've cleaned some of that stuff up, it really then lays the groundwork for starting on something you love. For me, it was piano. Uh, my wife has a friend in Denver who always had dogs and always loved her dogs and had liked horseback riding but never had time. And uh, she went out to the countryside out of Denver and found a stable and found a horse she could ride. And, nice. and goes out there all the time. And, you know, she's not going to compete in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But like the person who likes being out on the dock fishing, that really does something for her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I have run into coaching clients and peers who, after their long career, say, well, I've been working so hard for so long, I, I don't even know what I like anymore. And to those people, I say, well, did you ever like anything? Mm-hmm. When you were a kid, when you were a teenager, when you were in college, try one of those things. And if you like it, do some more of it. And if you don't mm-hmm. like it, try something else. That's the great thing about the tapas life. It's not, it's not like, okay, I'm going to take this full-time job that's now going to eat 40 to 70 hours a week. Yeah. It's I can try this thing out. I can do it for a few hours a week. Oh, I like it. I'll do it a few more hours a week. I don't like it. Nuts to that. I think I'll try something else instead. But you mine it for learning. Mm. You say, oh, turns out I didn't like that. Well, what didn't I really like about that? What was it that I thought I was going to like, but I didn't like? And you introspect a little bit on that, and you learn something, and it informs your choice of the next thing you might try. And then that way you can continue to add until you feel like your plate is full of tapas. Mm-hmm. And if you get to feeling where it's too much, like maybe it felt like in your long career, You just, unlike in your long career where you can't, you just unload a few tapas. You say, okay, well, I'll stop doing this one. I like it, but it's too much right now. I'll just put it in the parking lot. Mm. Or this one was really kind of marginal, I have to admit, so it's out of here. (laughs) Yeah, no guilt, right? No guilt for deciding this isn't a good fit for you. No guilt. And in fact, you know, riffing on that, it's, uh, there's no failure either at this stage Mm -hmm. of life. You know, one of the chapters in my book, chapter 13, is called Fail Freely. It's really the first time in your life since being a little kid on the playground where you can Try stuff, and it does not matter if you flame out miserably. Mm-hmm. You know, it won't be that, oh, damn it, now I can't pay the mortgage. <laughs> exactly. Or, oh, gee, I just got fired. Or, oh, they, you know, just put me in a dead-end job. Or, oh, my wife now thinks I'm a zero, or my husband 
now thinks maybe he needs somebody new. There, there isn't that kind of cost. And so you can pick a tapa and try it out. And if it's for you, great. And if, you know, if like in my case, you said, hey, I think I'll try piano. I always want to try piano. In the beginning, it was really hard. It's a good thing I really wanted to. Yeah. You know, my piano teacher had about uh, 80 kids she taught from eight through high school. And she had about a dozen adults, uh, including me. Uh, sometimes I'm an adult. And uh, she would have five recitals a year at her house where we played only for each other. So outsiders weren't invited. There was enough pressure as it was. That's nice. And for the first few years, my hands shook uncontrollably. Mm. I was terrified because here I was for the first time in decades doing something at which I was a beginner. And I wasn't good at it. I was learning. Mm -hmm. And but I really wanted to. So I stayed with it. And after about four years, my hands stopped shaking so badly. That's dedication. Yeah, and which was great. And, uh, you know, now we still get together for those recitals every year. I mean, every uh, five times a year. Uh, we have our summer recital coming up, which is Pops Night uh, during August, when you get to play popular music instead of classical music. And it happened that in our recent move, where we moved to the big city of San Francisco, I found in the library, a book of music in which there was a piece written by my dad of great memory. And I, it's jazz, and I've learned that piece and learned to sing it for our uh, summer Pops Night recital. Oh, that's awesome. And it's difficult, but now I can do that. And... uh so yeah, it's been uh, it's been 17 years of lessons, but now I can, and now I don't get so darn nervous, and now it's just fun and delightful. That and sounds so, like a, such a fun thing. Some tapas turn out that way. Yeah, I've had others that you know I wound up with brick marks on my forehead. <laughs> and, uh, What's an example? Which one that you tried and it just wasn't a good fit? Oh, gosh. I, I decided when I was at home dead uh, and the kids were, you know, sophomores and seniors in high school, they didn't have a lot of need for me, except when they wanted to get fed. Uh, mm -hmm. I decided, I think I'll see if I can go become a high school teacher at our local oh. public school. And I went went and talked to the principal, and, you know, she said, yeah, we love having people like you. And I said, what do I need to do? And she said, oh, you need to get a teaching certificate. And so I went to San Jose State University and investigated and saw what did I need to do. And I wanted to teach advanced placement environmental science, advanced placement environmental studies. 
known affectionately to the students as APES. Yeah. It's its acronym. Yeah. And uh, so to do that, they consider that part of biology. So I had to go take a test on all aspects of science because it was a science. Then I had to take a test on biology. Then I had to go take a written essay test to show that I could communicate. And I had to have a spoken interview to say that I could communicate. And that all went okay, except I had never taken biology. And I was wondering where this came in with your past. That's Uh, fascinating. I had done three years of chemistry in high school in order to be able to run the chem lab for the teachers. And so I went out and got the... Uh, got an AP biology workbook for the AP biology test that high school students take, uh, the Kaplan book. It was about two inches thick. Yeah. And for about three months, you could see me at the dining room table learning everything about biology. Really impressive. And I went and I took all the tests and I passed everything beautifully. Oh, And then I applied to San Jose State with those credentials. And they said, okay, with everything you've done, you're good. We're happy to accept you. But before you can start, you need to go sit in a classroom for 10 hours and have a teacher certify that you did. So I went back to the local high school and the the principal said, you need to go talk to the head of the science department. And she said, well, you, uh, you need to sit in a biology class. But, uh, you know, the school is unionized. The teachers are unionized. So the way it works is you don't start in AP environmental studies. Mm-hmm. You start in low lane ninth grade biology. So they went and put me in one of those classrooms. And that was a bunch of kids who had to take the class but didn't want to be there. And a bunch of kids who didn't much care about school. And a poor beleaguered teacher. And after an hour of that, I sat down with the head of the science department and I said, well, what does my path look like to eventually get to AP Environmental Studies? And that was going to be an indeterminate but possibly lengthy number of years. Oh. And I said, boy, actually, I'd rather shoot myself than that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) A lot of brick marks. A lot of brick marks on my forehead. But interestingly, none of our friends told me I was an idiot. My wife didn't tell me it was a big waste of time. Mm -hmm. Our kids were like, Jesus, Dad, I can't believe you're sitting there doing AP biology workbook. That's just crazy. Yeah. You know, nobody thought me a fool. They admired that I was willing to give it a shot. It is admirable, though. I mean, you put so much dedication to something that a lot of kids, as you saw, they don't want to be there. They don't want to learn that. And here you are eagerly basically teaching yourself from the book. It's uh, disappointing that you didn't know from the beginning that this was going to be a requirement, that you basically repeat high school (laughs) biology to get there. Uh, I feel sorry that you didn't get a chance to go further with that. But 
I bet you learned a lot about biology in addition to everything else about the whole process, but just learned a lot about biology. I then finally came to understand how it was that we had two kids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is valuable. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, that's a great story. Gosh. (laughs) Um, What's your favorite tapa that you have in your life? Well, that's uh, that's always family. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a family first guy, and I suboptimized my long career to to be there for family. I was always home for dinner in the evening, and I didn't work on the weekends. And even though I was a VP of marketing, I mm-hmm. for a big company, I didn't travel a lot. Uh, maybe about twenty percent of the time, which isn't much for folks with that job. Um, So family is always my favorite. It's the most meaningful activity, I think, in many people's lives. Uh, I read some interesting stuff by Pew Research where they researched the question of why is it that single people of no means have children? It's got to make it difficult to go through life. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's such a wonderful thing. It's so wonderful to have that child who you can love and care for. There's nothing more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some folks aren't cut out for it. But uh, the vast majority uh, find it to be wonderful. And I'm amongst them. My wife as well. So we've always optimized on family. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great one. That is a great one. Oh, um, you have a lot of lovely reviews about your book on your website. And one of them, the review points out that um, the topless life doesn't just happen. It requires planning. Yeah. So is that, that where you come in for people? Yeah, that's where I think the book is helpful. It's a, it's a how-to book, and it's a step-by-step book that goes in a useful order. I mean, you don't have to go in order, but if you do the first few chapters in order, that up through about chapter five, that's pretty darn helpful. Okay. And uh, chapter six, making sure you've got social con- social connection uh, and making sure you're paying attention to your health. Mm. So yeah, it's 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 a how how to book and and like anything else, you know, it's like the computer science folks say, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't put anything into your life, then you won't get much out of it. And but if you choose to be the author of your life, then you can create a rich and rewarding one. Mm-hmm. And. You know, we're the first generation in history who, instead of, you know, working a career, having a few golden years and being dead, many have the opportunity to be around another 20, 30 years. And it's a choice whether you want that to be a gradual decline with decreasing quality of life and less ability 
and worse health, leading to death, or whether you want to go along with a rich and rewarding life for a long time until finally the machinery gives out. And I don't know about you, Kim, but I'm I'm choosing the latter case myself. It is. It does seem like a no-brainer, but I think for some people it just isn't. They're just too tired yeah. from whatever their life has been and their circumstances. I know some people are just too tired, and that's... That is the way it is for some people. But um, for those who come to you and they're looking for more, they're obviously choosing to be like we are, where they want to get the most out of life. What are some common mistakes that you see people making? Uh, The biggest one is to not do anything. Okay. You know, I'll allow us how there's probably some portion of the population who's going to be happy going to the dock and fishing every day or sitting on the porch and watching the grass grow. Mm -hmm. And that may be a pretty good full life for them. I don't begrudge them that. And there are some people for whom family's everything and they just want to be around kids and grandkids and cousins and whoever they got. And that's fulfilling enough. And that's great too. And there are some people who want to do a second act, an encore. They want to find some other full-time job, whether for-profit or non-profit, but they want to do something for another 40 or 60 hours a week until they get dragged out with their boots on. Mm. That's great for them, too. I'm just pointing out that with these extra 20, 30 years, you have an option for the first time to assemble this interesting mix of activities, this tapas life. And the only real mistake is not doing anything for most people. For most people, that just leads to depression. And I've, I've seen it in some of my peers and friends. I've seen it, interestingly, I have a variety of, most of my, most of my coaching clients are in their 30s or early oh, 40s. Interesting. That's interesting. And uh, they, they, they tell me that they've, they've given my book to their, to their father because mm. their father really needs it. Yeah. Because their father retired and was just lost, adrift, untethered. And, you know, I'm really glad they gave him the book because if they just uh, do a little bit of that, they'll find that, you know, it's not an all-at-once thing. You don't go from zero to 100 miles an hour in a week, but you start in on it. You know, Mm -hmm. the journey of a 1,000 miles starts with the first step. And you got 20, 30 years to get it done. Mm -hmm. And so that's... That's, I think, the the biggest mistake. And the the second biggest mistake is uh, not paying attention to self-care. And self-care is really uh, health and social connection. You know, health is is exercise and and eating. And the reason to, to... you know, take care of those things 
you know, you don't you don't have to become an Olympic weightlifter, and and you don't have to be a become a professional chef or a nutritionist. But doing a bit of each of those things in a healthy way puts off the date when your most loved ones have to become your caregiver mm. or when you've left them behind, yeah. sadly. Mm-hmm. And it's the biggest lever on quality of life. And so that bit of self-care, boy, don't make the mistake of not doing that. And the other, the other bit is social connection. Don't become a hermit. People who don't have social connection uh, become depressed and, and their immune systems start to be affected and it's bad. And uh, it's hardest, I think, for people who had their social life tied up entirely with their work life. Yeah, it's rough. And it's hardest for people who say, I'm going to retire and move across the country to where I know nobody. And, you know, to both of those sets of people, I say, you know, find groups you fit in. Mm-hmm. If you're a religious person, you know, join a church or synagogue or mosque or whatever and meet some people there. Volunteer for some activities there. Become engaged there. If you're a musician, you know, look for a group who you can jam with or you can play with. Uh, if you're an artist, you know, go to the local library. They often have art groups who are doing stuff. Or go to an art school and meet some people in class. Volunteer for organizations. Go work in a soup kitchen and see who you meet. Mm-hmm. Go get on a nonprofit group. See who you meet. But get out and do something. Yeah. Well, to your point about moving, because you recently moved, but you stayed in the same area. But what about somebody, there's a lot of people think, like, I can live cheaper outside of the United States. If I go to Puerto Rico, I can be living the good life. Or, you know, if I go to to Chile, I can be living the good life there. So what is your, what would your advice be to people like that? And what do you see as a potential pitfall from something like that? Uh I think it'd be a great adventure for them. Wherever you go, make an effort to learn the language. Preferably a little bit before you go there. (laughs) The biggest, most important thing to investigate is what will you do about health care? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest. And then the second biggest is investigate how you're going to be taxed. Okay. Oh, surprise. Now I have to pay tax in the U.S. and Costa Rica. I see. Okay. Good to know. And uh, suddenly my nest egg is smaller. Mm-hmm. But the biggest one is health care. Okay. Yeah. So you need to see if there's reciprocity or if you need to buy additional insurance or... Yeah, I have never investigated that at all. Okay. I don't know what happens to your Medicare coverage. Yeah. 
Mm, that's important to know. If if you're retired but enjoy retiree health care benefits from your employer, investigate. Does it cover you if you move abroad? What's the yeah. deal? That's good to know. And then also put yourself where if you suddenly have a heart attack or a stroke, you're not 150 miles from the nearest hospital. It's like, wow, this rural place in Mexico is uh, is heaven and it's paradise. And uh, oops, I had a minor heart attack, but I'm dead. And if I were someplace else, I'd be fine. So that's that's a really big thing to be sure you look into. Yeah, because you're saying if you're in a rural location, you might not be able to get to the hospital in time or be able to keep up with your follow-up visits or whatever because it's just too far to go. And even if you're in a city, you know, try to understand what coverage you will have mm. and what additional you may, you may need to acquire. Yeah. Well, that's valuable to keep that in mind. Yep. Okay. Uh, what's another chapter in your book that you think is really important? I know they're all important, but if someone's going to skip around. Uh, so the the first portion of the book is about doing. It's about assembling one's life. And uh, the second part of the book is about being. So you've really spent your whole life doing up to the time you leave your long career. I mean, it started out when you were trying to learn to roll over and to crawl and to stand up and to take a few steps. And it goes all the way through school and all the way through your career. Right. You're always doing, raising a family. And you now have an opportunity to open your eyes and pay more attention to how you're being. And I talk about how you can, you know, consider, well, how am I as a person? What things do I like about myself and not like about myself? I offer some te- some uh, techniques and a, and a useful website uh, for investigating what are the things that fulfill you most so that as you add tapas, you can make sure you're doing things that are going to be fulfilling and so that you can be building yourself as a human in how you're being. Uh, You know, a couple of my top things that give me juice, one is kind of strange. It's it's gratitude. It's being grateful. Mm, I don't know why, but when I can be grateful... I like that. I find that very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm the person who at the checkout at the grocery store, first of all, knows all the people there. Hey, you know, Maria, how are you doing today? And second of all, when I'm done checking out, I say, hey, thanks. Have a great afternoon. And, And by the way, I love that blouse you're wearing today. Or Thanks for your smile. 
I don't know why that makes me feel good, but it lights them up. I did something useful. For, I, I, I had a positive impact on their day. Yeah. And uh, in fact, when I was in coaching school, I discovered uh, through the help of my co-students that really my life purpose is based on that. My life purpose that I assembled there is I'm the mischievous imp who spreads pixie dust from deep within that lights people up. I'm a spreader of joy. Beautiful. And so gratitude's a big thing for me. And that's an aspect of being, not doing. It's an aspect of, in today's parlance, mindfulness. Mm, Yes. Being aware of that gorgeous tree that's outside my window in the afternoon dappled sunlight. And thinking, wow, I'm lucky to be able to be looking at that. And so those are aspects of being. And in the back half of the book, I talk about that, about finding one's flow activity. I don't know if you know the concept of flow. It's the, it's the activity where it may not be easy. It may not be fun per se, but it's very fulfilling. It uses a lot of you. Mm. And at the end of a few hours, it feels like 10 minutes went by. Yeah, it's a nice place to be. And I talk about looking for that flow activity. That's more about being in a more fulfilled and complete self. And, you know, different aspects that way that move you towards what uh, uh, Maslow, Abraham Maslow. Mm, yes. His, uh, his Maslow's pyramid of that, that leaves to self-actualization at the tippy top of the pyramid. And I talk about in this stage of life, you can move yourself that way. And how uh, Robert Browning wrote in his poem, Rabbi Ben Ezra, You know, come, grow old with me. The best is yet to be. The last of life for which the first was made. And so this is the opportunity to gather up all you've done and start turning that into how you are Mm. and how you experience the world in your later years and how you become a fuller individual. Yeah, it's nice to be able to have some time up there at the top of that pyramid. Boy, it sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Really quite nice. So, Andy, I really want to thank you for your time today. But as I was saying earlier, the book is just beautiful, and it sounds like a very valuable workbook. Where can people find you? Where can they find this book? Ah, Thank you. Thank you for asking me that, Kim. Uh, First of all, I'll tell you, folks, Uh, Everybody who reads the book tells me that it's like having a conversation with me, that it's an easy thing to read through. It's not Mm. dense and thick and hard. Uh, So please consider yourself encouraged. 
Um, you can go to my website, which is tapaslife.com, T-A-P-A-S-L-I-F-E.com. And there you can learn a little bit more about me, and you can see some people who have reviewed the book, and you can see a few places where I've appeared in print, uh, and some links to some podcasts, uh, which I'll include this one once once this one goes live. And then uh, from there, you can find a link to Amazon or just go straight to Amazon and look up Tapas Life book or look up Tapas Life Andy Robin. And uh, there I am. And my book is a nice paperback. Uh, Kim told me earlier that it's pretty. And I must say, I'm very happy with the way the cover turned out. Uh, it's, It's vibrant because I think life has the opportunity to be vibrant. Mm. And uh, it's, I think, a whopping 10 bucks for the paperback or 8 bucks for the Kindle. And mm. uh, most folks can handle that. I'm not in it for the money. I'm uh, in it as part of my meaningful tapa to try to be useful to you. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, I think I need it just to have here on my shelf, too, because it'd be one of those books I would turn outward just because it's so pretty. And after talking to you, I realize all those really cool circles on the front that are so artistic and modern represent different tapas plates, I guess. I don't know if that was the goal, but that's what it is. But not they're not literal. They're just these beautiful circles of of beauty and uh and vibrance it's really very nice really nice design and i think it sounds like a really great book that should thank be you, kind Kim. of standard issue when you start to retire thank you what you need yeah well thank you for your time it's really been an honor to have you on here and i've enjoyed getting to talk to you and get to know you and um all the links will be in the show notes so if you're listening and you didn't have a chance to write it down you'll just be able to click on it in the show notes and go right on over to topislife.com at the bottom of the notes. So thank you for your time today. Thanks very much for including me, Kim. Keep doing something good. Ah, you too. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed learning from Andy Robin and the Tapas Life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.